Good morning. I want to welcome you to Memorial United Methodist. My name is Joe Kate. I'm the minister here. I'm glad that you're here. Um, if you're a visitor today, we're so grateful that you came. We have a restroom in the back should you need it. And your children will come forward for a children's sermon and go um, with our director if, uh, at that time. But uh, we want to make sure that your child feels safe. If you have any questions, please sure, be sure and ask us. Um, good news for the week. We have a plan that um, has gone through several uh, groups and approved it for people to be encouraged to join in membership at Memorial. You know, people generally ask that question, how can I become a member of your church? And so um, what we're going to do is offer three opportunities a year. Um, one in October, one in January, and one in April. Um, so those groups will sign up for a week during that time and then have an opportunity to join a class where we read a book together on five practices of fruitful congregations. And um, that group will then, um, at the end of the class, join the church all together, uh, all at once. They'll come to both services. We'll celebrate them at both services um, sometime around Christmas sometime around Easter and sometime right before school gets out. Um, so I think that's going to be a great program. Um, members of the church are also encouraged to attend if you would like to attend to learn anything you like about any subject that we're talking about. Um, it'd actually be kind of fun to have members in the class that they can bounce questions off of. Um, worship plans, um, book orders, are. Uh, it's time to do that for the next time. Uh, the next time our book will be that book. It's by a bishop in the Midwest, um, Bishop Snazy, and it's five practices of fruitful congregations. We're going to look at that all the way through September and October. So when the attendance register goes by, if you would like us to order your book to make it easier for you, I want you to put book beside your name. If you would like to be on a permanent book list and not be asked again, and then when we have a book, you get one, I want you to put permanent book out from your name, and then we'll do that. We'll have a list of um, both things. In terms of faith development this week, Sunday night programming starts tonight. That'll be at 5 p.m. We're going to feed your elementary school and middle school kids pizza so they won't be hungry throughout the night and they won't be hungry when they get home at 7. We are not feeding adults. You have to find a way to feed yourselves. Um, but at 5 o'clock, make sure your kids are here at 5 so they eat, so they get on pace, so that they're ready. Um, they'll begin programming with handbells with Cindy, and then at 5.30 they'll be in a, play, a program. At 6 they'll be in a program. They'll all, all children and youth will be released at 7 o'clock. Adults start next week. So adults will be with Bob and Bobby McQuaid in the social hall next week at 6 o'clock. They'll also be done at 7, so we all are done at 7 and um, head home for the week. I believe that is all of our announcements. Um, I, I have encouraged Beth, our secretary, to actually take a lunch from 12.15 to 1. She sits there and tries to eat her lunch at her desk, and it's a hopeless measure. It doesn't work, um, answering phones and whatever. So the office will be closed from 12.15 to 1 on weekdays so that Beth will go and eat so that she'll then come back and service till um, 3 o'clock. So uh, make sure that you encourage her to do that. Um, let us now turn our hearts towards the Lord.
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for calling us to your house. In everything that happened to us in the past week, things that were said to us, things that were done to us, things that we said, things that we did, help us to set them aside and to focus on your word for us this day, in your prayers, in your hymns, in your scripture, in your proclamation. Teach us about your will for us this week, Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Please stand in for our hymn, which is found in your insert. Let us now affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From then she shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
Please be seated. We have the children come forward for the children's sermon. Good morning. Well, we have steps full this morning. This is wonderful. Hello, hello. Is this good? You'll sit up here. All right, there we go. There you can sit right there. Well, this is a real treat. When someone does something nice for you, what do you do? Yes? You do something nice for them. That's a wonderful answer. What else? You say thank you. Do you ever write notes or send cards? What does that card say? Thank you so much. And on the inside, it has another message. And then there's room for you to write a message and thank them for something specifically that they had done for you. So we can say thank you. We can write a thank you note. Or we can do something nice for them. All of those are ways for us to show that we are living with thankfulness in our hearts. That's, some call that thanks living. When we live our lives and show by, I, by our behavior or our acts how we feel. It's important for us to show our appreciation when someone does something nice for us. Well, who do you think has done the very most for you? I'm God and Jesus. God and Jesus. All the right answers this morning. Yes. God has done more for us than anyone else. He sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus taught us through his words and through his actions how God wants us to live. And we say prayers of thanksgiving, don't we? To thank God for all he's done for us. But God is also interested in our thanks living. And there's a verse of scripture in Matthew where Jesus told the people that were listening how he wanted them to live. And he said, when you do something nice for the least of my people, for those that have the greatest needs, you're doing for me. So what do you do to show someone that you care about them? You tell them that you love them. Um, as uh, kids here at church, did you all um, make little shoe boxes full of gifts? Just recently, didn't we? We had a, what did, what did Leanna call it? Christmas in July, and we fixed shoe boxes for her to send as Christmas presents to people, to children that needed um, our love. In February, around Valentine's Day, what do you do? All together as a group during Sunday school. You've, you work together and you go to the adult Sunday school classes with little bags of treats, but you also want to give them hugs. Do we call that Hug Sunday in February? So there are lots of things that you do. So you are already living with thankfulness. And we call that thanks living. So when you look at, you look at the ways that God has blessed you and you thank him by sending blessings to others. Some people call that pay it forward. We've heard that phrase too. So this week, will you bless others with your behavior and with your words? And I'm also going to give you a note. 
and you can also you can write someone a note and you can get someone to help you write a note to tell someone that you appreciate what they've done for you and it can be anything mom thank you for fixing my breakfast dad thank you for fixing my bike could you even send a note to your teachers at school they would love to hear a thank you, I'm sure. Let us pray. Dear God, we come to you with thanksgiving. Help us and guide us as we turn our blessings into thanks living for you. Amen. first scripture reading for today comes from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Living Sacrifices. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, many times we reach out to you in prayer, many times in desperation, that we desperately need something for ourselves or for another person. As we talk this morning about your will and about your desire, help us to learn about how we should pray to you, how we should reach out to others, and how we should display the love that you've offered to us. Inspire us this morning, Lord, as we pre pray the prayer your Son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
Please be seated. I can tell you that without question, I'm the cause of the sound. I don't know why. We have been doing everything we can to mess with the soundboard, to maximize the sound in the room to help you. And some cord is loose or some wire is turned and um, I'm guessing if it's like y'all at home, it's called user error, something that we have done. So I'm just gonna use this microphone and speak as slowly and clearly as possible. Um, the scripture for today is aligning with the third chapter of the book, Why? Um, by Adam Hamilton. We're using that book throughout this month. And next week we will gather here for the final chapter. I told people from 9 o'clock that I expected them to be here next week. What time? 10. 10 o'clock. Here in the sanctuary. I said, if you're asking what you should wear, just wear what you normally wear and they won't look at you funny. I said, if you're wondering where to sit, Generally speaking, the seats that are on the very front and the very back are the most spoken for and the most treasured. So sit in that middle 90% and you should be settled, especially the people in the back. So chapter 3, we'll be using quotes from chapter 3 of Adam Hamilton's book along with the scripture passage, Mark 12, 28 to 34. And we're going to start with the scripture passage, which is found on page 1575 in your Q Bible. 1575. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? So I didn't remember this stat from seminary of the commandments, and so I searched it. There are 613 commandments, 613. And I can tell you from those studies that many of them are repetitive. Some of you know, they'll repeat the same topic over and over again, but there are 613. Let's compare that with some other numbers. Elements on the periodic table. Anybody know that number? Mm -hmm. 118 elements on the periodic table. Species of sharks. We've heard a lot about sharks this summer. You know how many species of sharks there are? 400. Pages of eight and a half by 11 sheets in the U.S. Federal Tax Code. You might know that number? If I said above or below 60,000, what would you say? Am I setting you up? 73,954, eight and a half by 11 sheets in the U.S. tax code. If you printed that front and back and put it in a notebook, it'd be insane. When you have that, you have to you start asking, when you have 118 elements of periodic table, you have 400 species of sharks that are thinking about coming around the coast, you have 73,954 sheets of information in the U.S. tax code, you ask this similar question. Which of these is the most important? What you're asking when you ask that question many times is which ones do I have to follow? Which ones can I sort of ignore? And which ones can I just destroy altogether and, and deny completely? Which ones do, can I just uh, let go? If you don't figure you prioritize your own behavior against the laws that you believe in, you're wrong. Most human beings, you sh we should read the text and let the text inform our priorities. But in many cases, we have priorities and we go and look for them in the text. And we set aside the ones that are not priorities to us. And so it's interesting that this teacher came along and said, which one is the most important? This is the only instance I can think of where when asked a question like that, Jesus didn't tell a parable. Usually when someone gave Jesus a very direct question, hoping for a very direct answer, Jesus told them an indirect story that had a very direct point that questioned them even asking that question in the first place. But this person says, which one's the most important? This is what Jesus says. 
The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And you can't gloss over those four words, how different those four words are. With all your what? What's the first one? Heart. And what is that tied to? And when people use that term, your emotions. With every emotion that you have, generally our emotions measured and uh, in love and uh, thoughtful. Mm -mm. Usually emotions get loose on us. And sometimes emotions get loose on us and they're angry emotions or sad emotions. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with the thing that connects you to other human beings and connects you to God in eternity. With your soul, I want you to love the Lord your God. With all your what? What's the third one? Sometimes the heart and the mind go in opposite directions. Sometimes one guides the other one a little too much. With all your mind, I want you to love the Lord your God, he says, and with all your strength. So with your body, everything you're doing to strain, you should be doing it in love. So you could, you, you could apply all four of those and apply them to angry or grumpy or sad too. And we do that. We will be sad with our heart, soul, mind, and body. Or angry with our heart, soul, mind, and body. He says, I want you to love the Lord your God. That's the number one rule, he says. But I think that's a little unclear for many humans' tastes. If you're asking me, what am I supposed to do? What's the number one thing I'm supposed to do? We like them to be direct. We like them to have some do nots. We like do nots. Don't do this. That's the thing that we respond to the most. Um, if, the uh, HVAC in this building and every other building is controlled by computer. And that computer has a four-digit code. And you have to know the four-digit code in order to change the temperature even one degree in any building. The thing that's funny to me about that is two churches ago, I was in a brand new church, we were in a brand new building, and there was a thermostat just sitting right there. You could touch it. You could change it. You could put it down 10 degrees. You could put it up 20 degrees. You can just go over there and touch it. And then after about a month, there was a thing beside it. It was an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. What do you think that eight and a half by 11 piece of paper said? I know you want to touch it with your whole heart and your whole mind. Your body is telling you to. Do not touch the thermostat. If I go back there for a 25-year reunion, there will be a plastic cover with a lock on it. And only certain people will have that lock. Do not. But this doesn't say that. It tells you to do something. I tell you what else it doesn't do. It doesn't give you any sort of measurable thing where you can measure how you've done against other human beings around you. Or measure how you've done against God's standard. The thing that occurred to me about this is I've been to so many leadership conferences and you learn, you really do learn good things, but sometimes they can get repetitive. But I've also learned a ton from my middle sister who's in, who's been in HR for um, her entire life and has moved on from that to um, strategy and uh, implementation development of companies, making them better. And I've seen different things that she's shown me and different things I've been to conferences and they talk about smart objectives. Smart objectives, and it's a, um, what's it called when there's a letter and there's a word for every letter? Acronym? Maybe? We'll see. Smart objectives, ideally speaking, each corporate department and section objective should be like this. Number one, specific. Target a specific area of improvement. Number two, measurable. Quantify or at least suggest an indicator of progress. Assignable. Specify who will be doing it. Realistic. State what results can realistically be achieved given available resources. T, time related. Specify when the results can be achieved. So when I'm meeting with the staff and we're talking about different things that we're going to do with programming with the church or um, 
their personal job. We need to be finding ways to do this so that we can have meaningful conversations and driving them towards success. Does, does this scripture passage give you that? Mm -mm. No, it, it says, love the Lord your God. What? That's not specific enough. But here's your first quote of the day from chapter 3. Is God's will a set of principles and precepts we live by, or does God have a specific will for every decision we make, every action we take, every word that we speak, in every situation of life? If I only gave you those two choices, I'd be interested to see what you would pick. But I think most humans wouldn't want to choose between those two choices. They'd want to have a, sort of an a la carte, where they pick some things are God's will and some things are um, what we do. But if you were only given those two choices, which one would you pick? For him to say, love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, strength. Spirit. He's leaving a whole lot up to interpretation and what we do and how we do it. And verse 31 isn't much clearer in terms of very direct things to do. Number th uh, Verse 31. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And what does that mean exactly? To love my neighbor as much as I love myself. Well, I love myself a lot, right? If you're honest with yourself, you pretty much think that you're on the right track and that you're doing the right thing and that you're saying the right thing. And if something happened in a situation that didn't work out, it was probably somebody else that did something. You ever call your best friend or your coworker and tell them how something was so wrong and so stupid and that you were 100% responsible and no one else could be blamed? That is usually in the story we tell. We don't usually call anybody when we feel that way. Usually we call somebody when we think that there's been some sort of injustice and that someone else was stupid and did something mean. And we want that person to then affirm our good qualities and if it were left up to us, things would have gone pretty well. Do you think that's fairly accurate? Probably so. But you want me to love the people and the, you want me to leave the people and the community and the life that I know in terms of the disciples. And you want me just to love everybody in general and you're not giving me a script. How am I supposed to do that? And how am I supposed to know what to do and what to say? And like my grandmother, I, both my grandmothers lived in Tennessee when we would go visit them. And one grandmother had a neighbor that would blow leaves from her driveway into my grandmother's yard to clear her yard. And we as grandchildren would, uh, um, to have fun with it, when we'd see her start doing it, we would walk around the opposite side of the house and walk around this side of the house to her to then see what she would do. And then she'd stop and start blowing them this way. She started blowing them back in her yard. You're supposed to love that person? When we were in a condo and we had kids, they were, they were still fairly young and tough to get them to sleep, we had a neighbor that would play loud music. And lots of time it had lots of bass in the music. And so what, I mean, what is loving that guy? What does that look like? I need you to give me more specific ways to do it. So here's your second quote. Did God have a perfect and complete plan for your life before you were born? Is everything that we will do, everything that will happen to us, and every decision we make already written down, predetermined by God, so that we're merely players on God's stage? Do you believe that? And I, I'm not, I'm not, um, I don't need you to believe one way or the other. I'm just encouraging you to consider it. Adam said, if so, the primary question is, if in fact we're merely following the script that God wrote, God punishes us if we do the wrong thing or rewards us if we do the right thing, why, why is that? Because it's all been written out. So I don't think you'd ever say both of those things, but I think people will suggest them to you in moments of difficulty, or you'll suggest them independently of one another, either that, that both 
Well, God wanted this to happen in whatever the thing is, whatever the tragedy is. But you'll also say, well, I don't know what that person did, but they're being punished for something. You can't have both those things. It's either we've been given free will and we make choices and this world impacts us in ways that we could never imagine. Or it's all written out and done and we're just sort of acting it out exactly as God wanted it to happen. It's sort of unsettling to consider it. I know that. And it sort of destabilizes you thinking, well, wait now, what is God in charge of? Maybe I need to hold on to something. But you've behaved in many ways as if you had free will. You just said the words that it's all mapped out. So one of the unexpected things I love about Greer is the trains. I really do. I love them. I love to hear them uh, in the morning. I love to hear them walking over here. I can hear them from my office. And I love to hear them when I take the dog out. I don't, know, I don't know why, I just love that sound. What choices does a train have? Very few. It's pretty much laid out and that's the way they're going and there's one chance. What's the difference between that train track and every road in Greer? There's about a thousand of them. Options. If you were to pick God's will is that train track or God's will are the roads that flow throughout Greer to all other places, I'd be curious to see which one you would pick. So verse 32 says, well said teacher, the man replied, you're right in saying that God is the one and that there is no one other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. So two things here. One, how many experts in the law have you seen question Jesus and appreciate what he had to say? I know of one, and that's Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Can you think of another one? There's not many. Most of them are upset that he is taking liberties, in their opinion, away from the text and that that is driving people away from God and they, in the name of God, are trying to stop him so that people won't be derailed. This person appreciates what he said. He said, you're right. The other part is the last thing, more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. The purpose of burnt offerings and sacrifices at that time was to come to the temple to admit the things that you have fallen short by saying and doing or not saying and not doing. This, in, in many ways, the same purpose of our liturgy of Holy Communion. And then offering a sacrifice to God to make the relationship right again. This expert in the law says loving God is more important than offering sacrifices. I'll give you a modern image. Person in a relationship disrespects another person in the relationship on a consistent basis and simply brings them a gift on uh, periodically. Never apologizes. Never offers, um, uh, I'm going to try to fix it. Instead, just here, 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 here. He says it's far more important that you love God and love others with your whole mind, body, soul, heart, <laughs> than anything else. Verse 34, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to the man, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. So kingdom of God, as long as I'm here, You'll hear me say when I mention the kingdom of God that yes, it's about heaven and it's about our entrance into heaven and it's about eternal life, but some religious organizations stop right there. Let's get you into heaven, then we're good. This text is, this kingdom of God is about now. Jesus says you're not far from the kingdom of God right now on this earth in what you're doing and what you're saying. Another quote, 
It's helpful for me to remember that mine is not the only story that God is authoring. I'm part of a much larger story of God's love and care for our world. This is every human being should be saying this. God is working in the lives of people I meet each day, seeking to collaborate in writing their stories as well. This helps me remember that the world doesn't revolve around me. Sometimes you figure the will of God should be the will of you. Okay, I searched how many questions does a child ask a mom in a day, and it's frightening. You know the number? It's somewhere between 250 and 300 questions a day. How many of them do you think were asked the day before? How many of them do you think are repeats? How many of them are of one child asking about the welfare of the other child? Mother, have you considered my sibling? <laughs> right? I just want to make sure that they have their needs met. My sibling has the Snickers first. I want to make sure my sibling gets to watch their show. Mm -mm. No, most questions are um, what I call belly button style. You're just looking at your own belly button, asking questions. And when you're doing that, and when you're figuring the thing that you're considering is the will of God, you're going to be disappointed a whole lot. Because, as this text says, God is working with every human being that's willing to bring about the entire will of God, not the will of Joe, as many times as I ask. Final quote. Part of knowing God's will is simply paying attention and noticing what's going on around you. Part of it is offering yourself as an instrument of God's love and grace towards one another. When we are attempting to decide how to respond to another person, we ask, in this situation, what is the most loving thing I can do? There's no answer in the back of the book. I'm not going to give you a fixed response, and nor is God. It's going to be, with what you know and what you've heard, what do you think is the most loving thing you can do for this person that's directly in front of you? Um, open your hymnals, but we're not going to sing the song yet. Number 454. We just sang it. 454. And I know we need to go. Four fifty-four. What is the order? Open my eyes. What, what do we do first usually? Open the mouth. Open my eyes so I can see. Open my ears so I can hear. When I've done both of those things, maybe I should say something. There's an excellent model. Excellent model for your behavior. Open my eyes that I can see. Open my ears. I have two eyes, two ears, one. There you go. Perfect. Let's stand and sing our final hymn. Uh, Be Thou My Vision, 451.
Jesus calls.